the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give a big shout-out to the superhero of our show, Mr. Max Williams. Superhero, super producer. Whoa, (laughs) that sounded like a Max-shaped foghorn. Yeah, can you do that again, Max? I'm really interested. Max! (laughs) Remember those Ricola commercials? It's like that. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it went from foghorn to Ricola, which I respect. I respect your range. As a yodeler, and I still have it. <laughs> I still have a yodeling episode we can do. Uh, but I'm Ben, uh, you're Noel, and today we are not talking about yodeling, but we are talking about a uh, another hero, someone who is so cool they got a grown up nickname. And I first I realized when we were looking at the research, Noel, that that has for many years been one of my unconscious qualifiers. For someone being a real bad A. I'm trying to stay apple? away from the curse words. Uh, well, not a bad apple. A bad, um, bad not a bad antagonist. Ant a bad eater? posterior. Ah, yes. I see where you're going with this. You Trixie devil. Uh, no, it's true. But adult nickname is a big deal. Usually nicknames are bestowed upon uh, the youth, and then it sort of carries along with them for the rest of their lives. Oftentimes uh, under duress, if you've ever watched the series The Wire, you know about Snot Boogie. You know, it's the mm-hmm. character who, uh, the very first scene, talking about Snot Boogie posthumously, he, uh, you know, ran away with the with the craps money and finally got, got shot, even though he'd done it a million times. But, you know, how do you get a name like Snot Boogie? One day you show up, you don't have a coat, it's cold, you get a runny nose, next thing you know you're snot for the rest of your life. That and is poot. unfortunately, yeah, yeah exactly. Poot. poot. 
there's actually there's a character on the new uh, character. Uh, they're all characters on the new uh, Jackass movie named Poopies. Um, mm-hmm. Gotta wonder how Poopies uh, came to be. Probably similar. He probably pooped his pants doing some sort of weird skateboard stunt. But not during the French resistance. No, that's exactly right, because I, I am digressing uh, too far to the modern day. We are talking about adult nicknames based on heroic acts of bad uh, posterior heroism. Uh, and today we're talking about the nickname The White Mouse, which Ooh. sounds innocuous, doesn't it? It almost Ooh. sounds like a diminutive nickname. But what are white mice really good at doing? Uh, being uh, experimented on, sure, uh, against yeah. their will. But no, we're more talking about scurrying around, escaping capture, you know, uh, scuttling through secret tunnels and holes in the wall and evading Nazis. Uh, yes. Also karate chopping them in the throat. True story. On March 1st, 1944, there was a French resistance captain named Henri Tardivat, and he found a person named Nancy Wake. Nancy Wake, when he found her, was tangled up in a tree. And as he was staring at her, hanging askew uh, in the branches of this tree, he uh, basically thought she was very attractive. And he gave her this line. This is pretty cinematic. He says... I hope that all the trees in France bear such beautiful fruits this year. Player. Uh, yeah, she, was, she wasn't just like posing for, for this dude's benefit. She'd gotten entangled in the tree um, after a parachuting incident. She was parachuting from a B-24 bomber and uh, was actually carrying classified documents. And she was on the way to a local resistance movement uh, group meetup, you know, a hang. And she didn't have any time for this fool and his, uh, and his misogynistic, uh, you know, advances. She goes, don't give me that French ish, while untangling herself from the tree. Uh, at this moment, he realized that uh, this was no ordinary damsel in distress. Oh, very much not. We're starting this story in media rest because, you know, secretly we're also a film studio in our heads. Let's introduce you real quick to Nancy Wake. She is trained in hand-to-hand combat. She knows espionage like the back of her hand. She's a saboteur. She is also quite capable of drinking pretty much every dude under the table. She becomes known as one of the most feared French resistance fighters during the entirety of World War II. As a matter of fact, as we'll learn in today's episode, the Gestapo eventually put her at the top of their most wanted list. They were going to pay 5 million francs for her, dead or alive. And it's the Gestapo who gave her the nickname, the White Mouse. Because as you said, Noel, she was so talented at evading capture It might surprise you, hearing uh, this list of bona fides and accolades, to learn that she wasn't always a secret agent. She, as a matter of fact, started out as a freelance journalist. I want to give a big shout out to uh, several of our sources here. Big fan of Paul Vitello's work for the New York Times. Won't give you the title just yet, uh, but we've we've got some great sources for this. All that's interesting as well, right? Lovely article, Meet Nancy Wake, the White Mouse of the French Resistance. No spoilers there. We've already dropped that knowledge on you. Um, and uh, it was Katie Serena who dropped that knowledge on us uh, via our uh, b- previous and, uh, and sorely missed research associate, Gabe Luzier. 
Gabe Luzier, first of his name. I don't know why I keep saying that about people, but uh, Gabe Luzier is the uh, the nearest and dearest Gabe Luzier to our hearts. He is also the host of This Day in History class, one of our peer podcasts. So if you like us, Miss Gabe, go ahead and check out his show. He's he's doing well. We might even have him back back with us sooner rather than later. I don't know, man. He kind of hurt us, dude. He kind of he kind of broke our hearts. I know, but that's why, look, that's why he needs to know that we're doing well in life, Noel. We need to, so he can that's see true. us Okay, succeed. all right. I like your style. <laughs> I like your style, Ben. But here's the thing. I mean, this was a uh, a woman. If you look at her photo, you can see it on the All That's, Inter- All That's Interesting article. Absolutely stunning um, woman with poise and class for days. All the things you described, absolutely accurate. Could drink her male counterparts under the table. Studied all of the the, the deadly arts and and subterfuge, uh, tradecraft and the like, but got her start uh, more as like a kind of um, I don't know Forrest Gump meets Ernest Hemingway kind of traipsing through history in a, in a cool way like via a, a career as a journalist, which is often will find you as events are unfolding around World War II, you find yourself kind of faced with the choice. It's like, do you want to be passive in this, in these events? Do you want to report from the sidelines or do you dive in headlong? And Nancy Wake chose the latter. Yes, she absolutely did. Let's learn a little bit more about her. If you haven't heard of her before, folks, you're in for a treat. Nancy was born Nancy Grace Augusta Wake Nothing to do with the Nancy Grace you just thought of. Uh, She was born in Wellington, New Zealand on August 30th, 1912. And she was one of those kids. This happens all the time in families. She was one of those kids who came along way after the rest of her siblings. She's the baby. She's much younger than her other five siblings. And pretty soon after she was born, her parents moved from New Zealand to Australia and they put down their roots in North Sydney. She did not have the best childhood. There was a lot of poverty. There was instability. Eventually, her father, who was also a journalist, abandoned the family. He walked out. He said he was going to go film a documentary about the Maori in New Zealand, and then he left Nancy and her mother and all her siblings. This is coming from the Jewish Virtual Library, which has a great overview of Nancy's early life. And there's something interesting that happens here, Noel. So Nancy and Nancy and her mom and her siblings are doing their best to get by in Australia. Nancy goes to school in Sydney, but then, similar to her father in some ways, she runs away from home at the young age of 16. That's right. Um, But lucky for her, she got a bit of a windfall, 200 bucks, which at the time would have been quite a a pile of cash. Uh, And that was from her aunt. Uh, And she was able to use this money in order to travel abroad. She went to New York. She went to London. She went to Paris. And that's where she found work as a journalist, the plucky age of 20. Oh, oh, wait, wait, you got to explain. We got to explain this, though, right? Just I think to give people a sense of two hundred dollars. You and I oh, you know, travel yeah, pretty extensively. It. I think we need an inflation calculator. Let's see. New York, London, and Paris on $200? Who is her travel agent? That's amazing. I need to know this guy. 
Yeah, this 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 would have been in the early days of uh, of leisure travel as well, kind of. You know, I mean, and that's yeah. I gotta hear the we gotta hear some boops. Let's get our boops on. And a boop. All right. So, uh, and we're we're fudging this a little bit. This is not Australian dollars. We're going to use U.S. So it's going to be a little different, but. If we're just pretending these are U.S. dollars, $200 in 1928 would have been the equivalent of $3,381.39 in 2022. And let's just, you know, okay, maybe that's a little underwhelming, you might say. Fair. Uh, But let's also picture this very self-possessed and driven young woman likely just scrapping her way along. This wasn't like, you know, a windfall that was going to allow her to live a life of luxury. No, she had to find her way to that life of luxury and her way to the means of paying for it, which she did. She got work as a journalist at age 20, and this allowed her to travel and move in some of these more extravagant circles. She eventually settled in France where she, you know, like you do, she married a, a wealthy industrialist. I love mm-hmm. the idea of just a wealthy industrialist. It's just sort of a type. I just picture a dude with like mutton chops, like big gray mutton chops and like uh, one of those, uh, what do you call those beards that kind of are just like half over the top of your like mouth? The like strap, the strappy one? The strappy beards. What do you call those? The ones that are like sort of just the mustache that go down Along the sides, but no beard to fill in in the middle. There is a, gotta there be a, is a name for it. Um, is it is it a Van Dyke? A Van no, something? No, that's the, the the Van Dyke is like the soul patch in the mustache. Right. What is that called? My my dad rocks that look all the time, and I, I just can't remember what he calls it. Hang on, I'm pulling. There's well, there's the horseshoe, but that's not what we're talking about. Mutton chops are what mutton chops are where the beard is shaved off the chin. Well, that's its own thing. That's this is I'm talking about. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just making up an imaginary well, okay. uh, wealthy picture, industrialist. Picture here. Daddy Warbucks. That's what I always think of. Sure. Right. I, it took me forever to realize the timing's a little different. But when I was a kid, you know, love musicals. It took me forever to realize that Daddy Warbucks is a uh, is a clear, very on the nose reference to war profiteers. Yeah, check out our episode on the creepy and uh, uh, controversial history of Little Orphan Annie uh, oh, yeah. cartoons, uh, you know, and all of that. Um, but so last thing on this, you know, the character I'm picturing the character from the first season of The Mandalorian, the one who goes like, what does he say is a catchphrase? He looks like a weird little monkey guy. He says, I have spoken. I have spoken. Yes, Kuili. From the first season, he's got that kind of look, that wealthy industrialist look. If you can see, he's got the mutton chops, and it's really more of like a skin mustache, but he's got, that's kind of what I'm picturing here. So, okay, that was a bit of a walk to get there, but she marries the wealthy industrialist uh, that allows her to continue, in fact, escalate this kind of life of luxury. Again, she's only about 20 years old. The guy's name, by the way, uh, was Henry Fioca, which is quite as cool. Yeah, Ben really wanted to be (laughs) Henry Focaccia, like like the bread, Um, but but alas. Uh, And then that was in 1936, which is kind of crazy because my dad, my parents had me a bit older, but later in life, my dad was born in 1937. So this is definitely within the span of people living today. But here's the thing. This is kind of the moment in 1933. She begins to reach that tipping point that I was talking about. Like, do I want to report from the sidelines? Do I want to be a a commentator and sort of like a passive reporter? Or do I want to really get involved? 
she was working at a uh, as a freelancer for a Parisian newspaper, and she was asked to go to Vienna to interview the German chancellor, a guy by the name of Adolf Hitler. You might have yeah, heard that, of Yeah, that. that Hitler. It's that Hitler. That's the one. The one yeah. you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, you know, she could have just lived a life of opulent luxury, but she chose to remain working as a freelancer. And while she was in Vienna, she saw just atrocious treatment of Jewish people. And she noticed the correlation here. It was Hitler's followers and disciples who were committing these anti-Semitic crimes. And when I'm saying anti-Semitic crime, I'm not talking about just, and this is not to diminish this in any way, I'm not talking about vandalism. I'm talking about people being pulled out of buildings and tortured and beaten in the streets by the Gestapo. And she says, okay, I know what these people are about. It is my moral duty to do anything I can to stop the Nazi party. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. She talked about this for the rest of her life. Uh, she said this cemented her 
deep, abiding, profound hatred for the Nazis. And rightly so, go Nancy. And she decided at that moment, it really was a kind of a fulcrum for her, but at that moment, she decided she was going to do whatever was necessary to stop Nazis and to stop Hitler in particular. And it wasn't until several years later that she got her chance in 1940 when the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, Belgium, and France. Remember, her husband, who is sadly not named Henri Focascia, but Fioca, uh, her husband had enough money that they could have skedaddled. They could have left France, but they decided to stay and fight, and they joined the French resistance in Paris. That's right, the two of them. I love that, uh, you know, because it's like, we're, we're, we're ragging on this guy for his you know, very vague and grandiose title of wealthy French industrialist, but he was on board. He, he was, he was going to put that money to good use. And, and for that, I, I applaud him. Um, Mr. Focaccio, or Fioca, excuse me. So during this time, they were able to parlay that wealth into things that would actually help get Jewish refugees across the border. For example, they bought an ambulance they could use as kind of a cover for transporting uh, Jewish refugees across the border uh, into safe territory. She also was uh, in a place of some level of uh, privilege, as you may have guessed. Mm -hmm. uh, but she used that to great effect as well. The wife of a very successful, wealthy industrialist was able to move around in certain circles of the upper echelon. Uh, someone who had the equivalent of a diplomatic past because of her history as a journalist as well and had not thus far, to my knowledge, been like outspoken, like writing like hit pieces on Hitler or whatever. So I think it was important to kind of maintain sort of a cover uh, in that respect and use all of these uh, factors uh, to their greatest possible effect. She was friends with the famous Scottish officer, a guy by the name of Ian Garrow, uh, and helped him transport military personnel who were stranded in France back to uh, British soil. So Wake uh, actually worked with Garrow along with Belgian Major General Albert Marie. Uh, I'm going to say Guris, Guris, G-U-E with a little schwa thingy over the E or the accent R-I-S-S-E. Uh, and he's Belgian, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best there. Uh, Guarissa, perhaps, uh, yeah. to help establish routes uh, that could be used to guide French soldiers to safety. Yeah, it's kind of like an underground railroad. Uh, for two years, the Fiocas were working as couriers. They were smuggling supplies and fake documents. And then later, they evolved into that uh, brilliant ambulance-powered escape network. They didn't always use the ambulance, but I thought that was such a clever move. The Gestapo gets wind of this, and they, they think, okay, obviously some of these French locals are not super on board with our crazy ideas, so we're going to try to find and shut down these resistance cells. And they started going through Nancy Wake's mail. They started posting surveillance agents at her home, uh, and they just couldn't really catch her. In 1943, she became the Gestapo's number one most wanted individual. As I mentioned earlier, she got that $5 million franc price tag on her head. And because she became someone on a most wanted list, her privileged social position would no longer protect her. And she recounts later how her husband said, you have to leave just for her safety. 
uh, he wanted her to get out, get to get out of France and leave him behind. And she remembers, this is so heartbreaking, she remembers going out of the door saying that she was going to do some shopping to give the guy plausible deniability and that she would be back soon. She left and they never saw each other again. She planned to travel to Britain. This is where we see the rise of the white mouse. She doesn't get out on her first attempt. People are watching the border. All in all, she makes six tries to get out of France. She's trying to cross the Pyrenees into Spain, where she was taking persecuted people in the past. And she had some really close calls, man. She earned the nickname. Big time. Once she was uh, captured by the French Miliche, I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, the Vichy Militia, in Toulouse. Uh, and she was held for four days, but she didn't give up the ghost. She, she kept her mouth shut. And uh, she wouldn't give up any uh, of her colleagues or any of her comrades. Yes, she's very good at convincing people of untrue things. She gets picked up by authorities on a train outside of Toulouse and to avoid being captured, she, oh man, this is, there's a lot of uh, chutzpah here. She spins this crazy tale where she says, you have to let me go, okay? Because I am actually the mistress of one of these guards. And I know I look like I'm in a disguise, but it's because I can't let my husband know I'm sleeping around. And the German guards, you know, we don't have the specifics of what she said, but the German guards no. said, oh, okay. Well, well, hey, we're not we're not going to snitch on you, you know, glory. Presumably to, to like help out their their bros. Their right? bros, yeah. And this is when uh, Wake actually got the nickname, uh, La Souris Blanche or uh, the White Mouse, uh, mm. because she actually evaded capture by the Gestapo officers and SS guards multiple times and would later talk about, you know, how she was able to combine some charm with, uh, obviously, some true training in order to find her way out of these tricky situations. She would say, a little powder and a little drink on the way, and I'd pass their German posts and wink and say, do you want to search me, big boy? I added that part. Uh, God, what a flirtatious little bastard I was. Right. Oh. And this is brilliant. A, a, a minx. I love it. Yeah, she's leaning into assumptions. And that's a huge part of social engineering in tradecraft. She's unassuming. She looks like a well-to-do person who is just kind of like, you know, a little in their cups and like, mm, I love a man in uniform. And then boom, she's accomplished her mission. And so this is how... She escapes through the Pyrenees into Spain, and then she makes it to Britain. And once she gets to Britain, you know, intelligence agencies at this time are all very deep, deeply interested in each other. And if someone's good enough to earn a nickname, then they the other forces probably know. So the British Special Operations Executive, SOE, says, okay, White Mouse, we will train you in our arts, in the art of tradecraft, which is the uh, euphemistic name for spycraft. She learns how to kill people silently. She learns uh, codes. She learns correct ways to operate radio. She learns how to parachute, especially at night, which is how she ended up with in that tree at the beginning of our story. She knows how to use plastic explosives. She's familiar with firearms as well as grenades. And all of her training officers, again, despite the misogyny of the time, 
say, this lady's putting the dudes to shame. They're looking around at the other recruits and they're like, come on, guys. Come on. You can't even rig a little bit of a plastic explosive. Nancy, Nancy, get back up here. Show show them how to do that. She really was like first in her class. And it didn't take too long before she became a high-ranking officer. She organized and ran firearms allocation to 7,500 different people. At this time, once her training is complete, it's 1944. And get this, she is only 31 years old. What are we doing with our lives? She's parachuted into France along with 430 men and 39 other women to prepare for a little something the Allies like to call D-Day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the same one, the D-Day. Like the Adolf Hitler, this is the D-Day. These are not just like adjacent events. Uh, She is in the thick of it. Her job is to actually organize uh, ammunition drops. So these are like these airdrops that are coming down, you know, with crates. You picture them like kind of raining from the sky. Uh, Parachuted crates of, of very crucial supplies, including ammo. She also was responsible for setting up supply lines and the communications surrounding uh, those supply lines. And also to organize resistance movement in prep for the actual attack of D-Day. She was not only known for her wily, you know, street smarts and ability to evade capture and break through enemy lines. She also had a lot of um, acumen when it came to tactics and, and, and strategy. And, and she was used uh, for those uh, skills as well. Yeah, yeah, she was a tactician. Uh, They carried out guerrilla attacks on numerous German forces with her team of 7,000 people. We're talking about doing damage to 22,000 Germans uh, and burn the supply lines, attack the infrastructure. This is very important stuff. Uh, She would later go on to say she didn't like killing people in particular, like she wasn't sadistic about it. It didn't scratch an itch for her. But she said, I don't see why we women should just wave our men a proud goodbye and then knit them balaclavas. I love the word balaclava. But she felt like so you what had is to a balaclava? Get sure looks it, it, a lot like baklava. I don't know what this I is. Know, I know. Knit, knit this. It's a, a balaclava is the... Um, Okay, you know how when we were doing those bank robberies, we had those knit masks that we would put over? Yeah. Yeah, those are yeah, balaclavas. Like a, oh, like a ski mask. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's okay, very okay. similar. It, it has like, it's the one with like uh, kind of one window for an eye or some, or you can show your whole face. Or you can pull Ninja it mask. Away. Yeah, it's like something you would wear if, you know, you were fighting somewhere really cold and you're just like freezing. It's like, okay, I need to get myself covered up as much as possible. But it yes. also makes you look like a spooky kind of stalker type. Yeah. Yeah, but you're warm is the thing. They're frowned on today. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> most, a lot of stores will have signs that say no ski masks allowed, as if that was any question. It's funny how a garment like that, though, can become so not, controversial. Not uh, ski stores, though. I think you can. No, ski stores, it it's, it's, it's fair game. Wake was also, um, her heroism extended uh, onto the, uh, the arena of cycling. She was mm-hmm. an avid cycler, and that was a really nimble way of, of kind of using that, that uh, 
you know, cover that she had uh, and to just kind of bop around through German checkpoints in order to reestablish connections with allies. Uh, London in particular, um, she once did a 310 mile round trip on her bike in order to replace some codes that had been destroyed during a German raid um, on a post Without those codes, there would be no way for them to communicate regarding uh, re-ups on those ammunition drops that we talked about. So this is like directly pertaining to those kind of strategy assists that uh, Wake would offer. But also she would just was on the ground getting her hands dirty. Uh, she said the ride took around 71 hours and she went almost nonstop. That mm-hmm. is bold and Three days. absolutely impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she also, you know, she got her hands dirty in more ways than one. We mentioned that she didn't like killing and that she was not a sadist, but she did take several people's lives. While she was preparing for D-Day, the White Mouse learned that some of her some of her soldiers had captured a young German spy who was female. And these these men who were working for her couldn't find it in themselves to kill her. So Wake did it. And later in 2001, she would tell an Australian newspaper, I was not a very nice person and it didn't put me off my breakfast. And if you want another example, let's talk about the time she killed a guy with her bare hands. This is the karate chop. Did we mention yeah. this part on air, yeah. or was this oh, us we talking? We did. No. Okay. Oh, good. No, no, no. Good. We, set, we yeah. set it up at the beginning. The, uh, the aforementioned karate chop. Not only, not bare hands, mind you, bare hand, a single-handed chop to the neck. You know, this was something that was taught to to, to them in training. Um, mm-hmm. It was a uh, an SS officer who was about to, you know, the equivalent of that one soldier in uh, in, in uh, Elden Ring that'll blow the trumpet. And then, right. you know, summon all their homies to come. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to take them out first before they make the noise. And yeah. uh, nothing like a well-placed chop to the neck to prevent them from sounding that alarm. This is actually during a uh, raid on a German gun factory, which would have been a huge strategic uh, value, mm-hmm. you know, target. Um, so once again, saving the day with a swift karate chop. Killed him dead. Yeah, it reminds me of, we've got a quote from her, but it reminds me very much of uh, that scene in Kill Bill where the bride is buried alive, spoilers, and has the flashback to her repetitive punching. I may. God, I wish this was on video. I'm doing an okay job. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> thank you, man. But Tiny the, uh, punches with no real uh, room for a windup. That, that was the right. big part of it too. So she got taught, well, here, let's just do the quote. Let's let her speak for herself on this. Yeah, they, they taught us this judo chop stuff with the flat of the hand, uh, and I practiced away at it. Uh, but this was the only time I used it. Hi. Whack! And it killed them all, right? I was really surprised. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, I, I know we're not diminishing this at all, but when she says, I was really surprised, I have this picture of like the flat judo chop, and, and then looking at the hand and going, oh, huh. all right then. Sort of like shrug emoji. I mean, it makes me think of the uh, Star Trek Futurama episode. There's at the end, they're all fighting. And so they're just normal people. And Leonard Nimoy like goes to like uh, do the Vulcan neck pinch on Bender. And he goes, let's see if this actually works. And it very much does not work. Yeah, I uh, in my um, wilder days in another life, I remember being very young and I thought the Vulcan neck pinch was a real thing. And I tried it on someone. 
it's I must. It doesn't work. The nerve. Maybe. Maybe no. I just didn't, maybe you just didn't do it right. It's like, yeah. like the the five point palm exploding heart technique. Uh, you gotta watch Kill Bill thing. Yeah. You gotta get all those pressure points in quick succession, right one just after right. the other. If you, if you miss one. We didn't train in the temples of Shaolin, so it's hard right. for us to really comment on this stuff. Directly. We studied the mic. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Yeah, so she is doing um, courageous things and things that make a huge difference in the resistance effort. In June of 1944, the German forces came at her troops en masse, and they lost a hundred of their own folks, the French resistance under under the White Mouse, but they also killed 1,400 of the Germans who came after them. So this fighting force, if you look at that ratio, they are Wu Tang style, nothing to f with. Um, we no, we teased D Day, right? That was June of 1944, and we know that June of 1944 is also when the actual D Day happens, June 6th. Wait, we are recording a day after the anniversary of D Day. Where are we ever? That. No, it's true. Yeah, seventh as we sit here, this very day, probably you know one. I guess one of the most 
popular dramatizations of D-Day would have been the, the storming of the beaches at Normandy um, in uh, Saving Private Ryan, the very first opening sequence. It's fabulous. You really feel like you're there, the, the, the shaky cameras and the bullets whizzing past and, you know, the absolute chaos of it all. That's not the kind of, I mean, there's certainly chaotic elements to warfare still to this day, but not quite the same. Um, it was very much, you were just hoping to God that you didn't catch a bullet in the back of the head. And then you were just moving forward while your comrades were falling all around you. And it was a very hellish situation. And it's, it's, it's a wonder that we prevailed. It is very much so. Let's look at D-Day just a bit and how Nancy Wake plays into it. So we know that allied troops at tremendous cost started to force the German army out of France on August 25th of that same year, Paris is liberated, and Nancy Wake leads her troops out to celebrate. But she, um, it was not 100% a celebration for her because she knew ever since she told her husband that she was going to go shopping and never came back, she knew the chances of them reuniting were very low. And she truly loved him. She wasn't marrying him for the money, obviously. And uh, when she got back, she learned that he was indeed dead. A year after she had left France, the Germans captured him, tortured him, and then killed him because he refused to give them any information about his wife. Oh, that is one tough, wealthy French industrialist. Ooh. We should honor him by referring to him as Henri from now on. Because uh, the man clearly earned our respect and the respect of the world. Because, I mean, back then it was all about information and he could have outed his wife and they could have put an end to her shenanigans. Uh, but uh, they continued, largely thanks to Henri. Um, so within a year, Germany was done. 375 of the 469 operatives uh, of the SOE in the uh, French area uh, survived the war. There were 39 women operatives, 12 of which were killed by the Germans, and three who returned after having been imprisoned and tortured, uh, most likely, for quite some time at Ravensbrück, the concentration camp. All in all, we had 600,000 French uh, citizens who were killed during World War II, and 240,000 were killed in prisons and those hellish concentration camps. And the number would have been much higher were it not for Nancy Wake. This is not hyperbole. She saved thousands of lives. She was awarded many accolades after the war, the George Medal from the United Kingdom. That's the second highest civilian honor that Britain will give you. The Medal of Freedom from the U.S., uh, the Legion of Honor, the highest military honor from France, along with several other, multiple other honors and awards from various European nations. As a matter of fact, and this was an interesting detail to me, she received so many medals for her actions during wartime that she would later say she lived out her old age on the proceeds from their sale. And to me, that's kind of, um, that's kind of sad. The idea that someone could do so much, could save so many lives, and then has to sell the award society gave her. 
Unfortunately, that's the story of a lot of, of individuals who serve their country and come back home only to realize that, like, they're sort of conditioned for a situation that no longer exists and that they maybe aren't suited mentally, psychologically um, for other types of jobs, for sort of re-acclimating to civilian life. And while that wasn't necessarily the case for Wake, I mean, it kind of was. She refers to this experience uh, like this in a New York Times article. Uh, It's dreadful because you've been so busy and then it all just fizzles out. Um, Actually, she told that to an Australian newspaper and it was quoted in the New York Times article that you referenced. She wrote an autobiography called The White Mouse that was published in 1985. um, And she moved, uh, she remarried actually, and she moved to Port Macquarie in Australia. 242 miles north of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did remarry to uh, a former POW, an English fighter pilot with an awesome name, John Forward. That sounds like, <laughs> I like that little fingertip, Max. John Forward. Yeah, it's almost like another Toast of London type name. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So guys, I've been rewatching BoJack Horseman and it's like, you know, my fourth rewatch of it. And what I've picked up at this time is how many times like they have like a little jingle for characters who enter, like recurring characters. And I just envisioned John Ford would come into the room. He's like, John Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure. Yeah. I like it's one of those, uh, you know, we've gone back and forth about nominative determinism before, but names like that, uh, that have a direction or names that have a verb in them our classic fighter pilot CEO uh, material. Shout out to my alter ego, Max Powers, astronaut with a secret. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Max Williams, super producer. We know that she survived a time and a profession that many people don't. A lot of people who were working in resistance, stuff like this and insurgencies, they are not going to have very high odds of living out their life in peaceful old age. But against the odds, once again, the white mouse does exactly that. As as we described, she moves to England in 2001, and there she lives pretty much rent-free at the Stafford Hotel in St. James Place. And according to reports, she spends most of her retirement at the hotel bar with a gin and tonic, and then she moves to a retirement home for, uh, you know, for retired veterans, servicemen and women in 2003. And she still shows up to the bar because they make a mean gin and tonic, I guess. It's also a very Toast of London thing. I would have loved to have had a drink with Nancy Wake uh, and just had to hear some of these stories. And it's all very recent. It wasn't until 2011 that she passed away um, in that nursing home from a chest infection. And I believe after she passed, it kind of came to light that the royal family was footing some of the bills for her uh, for her lifestyle. Not that it was like extravagant or anything, just right. paying for bar tabs, I guess. And like, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's pretty that's pretty posh, man. If the royal family is picking up your bar tab, you must have done something right or drastically evil. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, that might be a different episode. So this is a story of a real-life hero, and it shows us, as we established earlier, how close the past actually is. I'm not going to bring out that Faulkner quote again, but he was absolutely right. Instead, maybe we end on a quote 
from the first character we met in today's episode, our pal, Henri Tardivan. He survived the war, and he loved talking about Nancy Wake. Uh, here's his last line. She's the most feminine woman I know. Until the fighting starts, then she is like five men. I think he had a crush on her. Oh, clearly. Yeah, I think <laughs> most people that she met probably had a crush on her. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think she probably damn well knew it and used it to her uh, to her benefit. Um, Nancy Wake. What a character. The White Mouse. I, I want to read more about this, this fascinating human being. Um, and again, would have loved to uh, share a gin and tonic with her. Um, yeah, but same. I think that's a great place to, to, to put, a, put a pin in this story. There is a documentary about her that was made by Australian television in 1987, but I don't have a title on that. Um, I think there was, there was a documentary, Nancy Wake, codenamed The White Mouse, and then there was um, a TV miniseries, right? I, I think it was one of those things where it was based on a true story or inspired by a true story. And they added a lot of historical liberties, sort of like what we were talking about with Operation Mincemeat, where they kind of shoehorned a love story in. Yeah, so the uh, TV miniseries was just called Nancy Wake. It ran in uh, 1987. It sounds to me like Henri and Nancy, uh, I think they were just star-crossed lovers who never quite got their stars to cross. No, we went a little bit long on today's episode, but it felt like one story to us and we didn't want to split it up. We hope that you have enjoyed the tale of Nancy Wake uh, as much as we have. And we can't wait to hear from you about other heroes from the past who maybe haven't quite gotten their due. All you have to do is reach out to us on Ridiculous Historians. And hey, while you're on the internet, you can find us not just as a show, but as individuals. This is true. You can find me exclusively on Instagram where I am at HowNowNoelBrown. Mr. Bolin, how about yourself? Well, you can get uh, some spoilers for Ridiculous History and for uh, stuff that I want you to know, various other projects I work on by going to Instagram, where I am, as I like to say, in a burst of creativity, at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N. If you don't sip the Instagram social meet, you can find me on Twitter as well, where I'm at Ben Bolin, H-S-W. Like everybody else on Twitter, I'm only there because I know Max Williams is there too. I mean, that's the only reason to be on Twitter at this point, I've heard. I think Elon Musk said that, yeah. Yeah, 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 while he's backing out trying to buy it. Uh, But if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at ATL underscore Max Williams. That's where you find all my stuff. And, of course, thank you to our super producer, Max Williams. Thank you to our composer. It's so nuts that our show has a composer. It's our good friend, Max's brother, Alex Williams. Keep it in the family. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.